the four main core values of the church. And so uh, our, our four core values, does anyone know what our values are? All righty. So we have four of them. Faith, everyone say faith. Community, evangelism, and worship. Let's say that one more time. Faith, community, evangelism, and worship. All right, let's say one more time. This time, Craig, I need you to shout it out for me, okay? Faith, community, evangelism, and worship. Yeah, so today we're going to be talking about, last week we talked about faith, and today we're going to be talking about um, community. And so if you have your Bibles, why don't you turn with me real quick to Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to be reading verses 19 through 25, where it says, Therefore, brethren... Having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh. Isn't that a beautiful promise? Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed uh, with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves uh, together, as is the manner of some, but extorting one another and and so much more as we see the day approaching. Lord, Speak to us this morning. Have your word speak to us this morning, Father. I pray that you'll encourage us this morning. God, I know we're kind of going back to the basics this morning, and we're talking about our, our core values this morning. But, God, I just pray that your word will do a fresh, a fresh speaking to us. Although we've talked about community before, God, I pray that your word will do a, a fresh thing and a new thing in us today, Father. I pray that you will stir us up with love and good works, and I pray that we will be a community of believers that... Um, uh, just are storming the gates of hell and that are doing your work and that are making disciples and that are uh, doing what you have called us to do, Father. May you be magnified and, you may, and may, may you be glorified, God. We ask these things in your holy name. Amen. So Jesus had come, he had gone, he'd, uh, Jesus had come and gone and went back into heaven. And just to give you a little bit of context here, the writer here is writing first century Jews, and what he's doing is he's linking the Old Testament or the Old Covenant with the New Covenant, and he's making these little lines and he's making connections from the Old to the New, from the Old Covenant to the New Covenant. And actually, the book of Hebrews, if you delve into it, is just a rich, rich, rich book of a lot of connections to the Old Testament. And so he's 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 kind of he's he's a Hebrew writer that's writing other Hebrews, and essentially what he's doing is he's, he's telling them to stop acting like Hebrews. And so what had happened is that um, many of the early uh, Jews had believed in Jesus the Messiah. They'd gotten excited about Jesus, and they'd heard about him, and, and um, they had begun to slip back into their old rites and rituals, and they had began to go, on, go back to what they knew because of the mounting persecution of the church. And so they accepted Jesus, but there was persecution, and so they started going back to what they knew. They started going back to what was comfortable. They started going back to the things that brought them peace. You know, isn't that so, so true often in our own lives? Like, 
You know, uh, when there's persecution and when there's difficulty and hardships, a lot of times what happens is we go back to what's comfortable, right? We go back to what we knew. We go back to what we think gives us peace. And so this is, what's, this is what was happening. The people had accepted uh, Jesus, the Messiah, and here was persecution, and now they were going back to the things that they were doing, and they were going back to what they, they like to do. And so he's, he's writing them, and he's telling them to, to stop going back, and he's telling them that, like, 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 listen, Jesus is the better way. Jesus is the only way. Stop doing what you've been doing and come back to him. And so here he's, he's speaking to them, and he's, he, he lays forth some, some really um, rich theology in this passage of Scripture. And so he, he starts it out in verse uh, 19 with the words, therefore. And we know that anytime we see the word therefore, it's, it's there for a specific reason. And if you look at the word therefore, and I was just kind of studying this passage of Scripture, um, kind of looking at his choices of words. You know, sometimes what writers do is they, they, they use a phrase and they'll, they'll use it again and again and again. And, and they, the reason that they do that is they do that so that the, the listeners can kind of catch on to what they're talking about. And they use it so that people can remember what they're saying. I don't know if you've ever heard me when I've been talking and I'll repeat my points and I'll repeat them again. You know, maybe you've done this with your kids before where you you clean your room. Okay, it's time to clean your room. It's time to clean. Like you're, you're, you're repeating what you're, what you're saying because it's important and because you want them to listen. A lot of times they don't, those dirty kids. But, 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 but he's doing this. What he's doing is he's, he is repeating a phrase. You actually see this phrase repeat three different times in the text where he says, let us. Check it out. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance and full faith. Let us hold fast the confession of our faith and let us consider. So he, he, he says, let us three different times. And as I was studying, I saw this pattern, let us, let us, let us. And it occurred to me that he did not say, let me. He did not say, let you but he said, let us, let us, let us. He repeats it three different times. And I think that he does this um, because he's trying to draw his audience in. He, he, he's really saying let us because he is, he's, he's trying to connect with what he's saying to. It's not just him and not, it's not just you. It's us. It's about community. Can you say community? Let us. And so if you look at the first let us in verse 22, he says, let us draw near. Now, now for some of you this morning, that might not seem very significant because when you come to church, you have the opportunity to draw near. You have the opportunity to come up to the altar. You have the opportunity to stay where you're at. Uh, for you this morning, it might seem very simple to draw near to God. In fact, in scripture, it says that, you know, he, 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 is, he is near the brokenhearted. He binds up all the, like, like you, you know that when you pray, he's there in your, like, he's there in your presence, right? Like, where can I hide from his presence? If I go into the, if I go to the mountains, he's there. If I go into the depths of the sea, he's there. For some of you, that might not seem like a big thing, but, but, but this idea of drawing near when he's speaking to his readers would have actually been very significant. This would have been a big statement for his readers. He was, again, he was writing first century Jews, people that uh, knew the process by which they uh, had to do, what they had to do to, to come near to, 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 to God. You see, at one time, it was the tabernacle 
Um, and that was the place of God's presence. Uh, the only person that could go into the presence of the Lord was the high priest. And he would have to go past the outer courts. He'd have to go past the brazen altar. He'd have to go up to the outer veil of the tabernacle. He would have to walk into the holy place. He'd have to go past the inner veil. He'd have to go, and, and, and past the inner veil was the Ark of the Covenant. And past that was into the Holy Holies, the Holy of Holies. But in the Holy of Holies, only the high priest could go. And he could only go once a year on the Day of Atonement. And, and so only one person could go to one specific spot. And the, and, and, and the priest, he had to be a descendant of Aaron from the tribe of Judah, a person without defect. He had to have uh, meticulous preparations. He had to wash himself, and he had to put on particular clothing. He had to burn incense and let some smoke cover his eyes uh, so, that he couldn't, so that he wouldn't have a direct view of God. He had to bring blood with him. He had to make atonement for sins. And some scholars believe that it was so dangerous when the high priest went in that, that they would tie a rope around his waist so that if, if, if he were to, to die from being in the direct presence of the Lord, they could pull him out of the tabernacle. But it was only a specific person who could go in at a specific time, and he had to follow a specific ritual. He had to wear specific clothes. He had to live his life a certain way, and um, it was only one day a year. I don't know if you've ever met someone before where um, you've talked to them and they've told you about what they want their future husband or their future wife to be like, and they've written a list. Have you, has, first of all, has anyone written a list before? Raise your hand. Raise them high. All right. Now look around. Who's raising their hand? Do we have any single people here? Okay, perfect. Okay, so, so <laughs> it's, like, it's, like, it's like, you know, you meet someone that they write a list and they say, you know what? The perfect person would be someone that's tall, dark, needs to be handsome. He needs to have a good smile. He needs to be rich. He needs to be powerful. He needs to be athletic, preferably. Um, he needs to be driven. He needs to be within 26 months of my age. He needs to live in the area. He needs to be independent. He needs to love the Lord. He, he, I don't want him to be a mama boy. I don't want him to be a mama's boy, but at the same time, I want him to love his mama. Amen? Amen? Amen. Amen. Okay. And... Uh, he just needs to be passionate and kind and affectionate and loving and know my every needs and know my every thoughts. And like, I don't know, sometimes I think that we think when we, I don't know if you've ever talked to someone and you look at their list and you just think to yourself, maybe you're a, a like, I just don't measure up. I feel like I'm so far off from what God expects and there's this separation. And I think sometimes people still think that that God's that way. They think that he's in a tabernacle or, or he's just in a church with stained glass window. They, they think that he's uh, just for the elect. They think that he's just for the chosen and they think that he's forgotten about him. Perhaps he's, he's only for the, the righteous. They think that he's so far off and so uh, unattainable. They think that perhaps he's sitting on a cloud somewhere waiting for us to do specific things at a specific time um, with, uh, with others specific, wearing specific, like, like they think that he's, he's so far off. But the writer says, now we can come. We can draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Did you know that you can come into the presence of the Lord with boldness?
You might think to yourself, I'm not worthy. I'm not good enough. I'm a sinner. You should have seen the way that I was speeding when I came to church today. You should have seen the way that I was talking to my coworker yesterday. I'm not worthy. I'm not good enough. I'm a sinner. My works are like filthy rags. And I would say that you are 100% correct. But because of Jesus' work on the cross, we can come to God in boldness. We can come to him uh, in community on Sunday mornings with boldness. We can come to the altars every Sunday morning with boldness. You can, you can worship the Lord alone in your prayer room with boldness. You can worship the Lord with your family during the week or during the weekend with boldness because of Christ's work on the cross. Let us draw near. Let us draw near. Like, 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 he doesn't say let, let, let you. He doesn't say let me. But he says, let us draw near. That's a beautiful statement. And his readers, when they were listening to it, they probably thought that was scandalous because they knew of the history of the, the, of the, the history of Israel and everything that people had to do to get into the presence of the Lord. Let us draw near. And that invitation, again, is for us today that we can draw near. Let us draw near. He goes on to say in verse 23, not only let us draw near, but let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Let me read that one more time. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Are you thankful for that this morning? Amen. Hope is the confidence that God will fulfill his promises. It's the confidence that God, will fulfill his pro- that God will fulfill his promises. In this, I have confidence. You know, some, well, I've, I've mentioned this before, but some hope is uncertain. Some hope is subjective. Some hope is like, hey, maybe, I think, perhaps, you know, man, I, I hope my wife makes spaghetti for me tonight. I, I hope I pass my driver's test. I hope the, the, the Middle Eastern food is good today. I, I I hope the, man, this is funny, um, I hope the, the Lions beat the Packers today. Man, I, I hope I have enough money to, to make it to my next paycheck. Like some hope is subjective where it's like perhaps, perhaps you will. But, but, but the, the writer is saying like this is a, this is a, this is a, 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 a hope that is without wavering. This is an objective hope. It's a, it's a certain hope of God's promises. You can know that you know that you know that you know that you know. The Greek word here is elpis, which is found five times in the book of Hebrews. And probably the the clearest picture of this is found in Hebrews chapter 6, where he equates it to God's promises and he equates it to an anchor where he says, this is a sure and steadfast hope, this anchor. And you think about without the hope that we have in Jesus, that, that, that hope that goes behind the veil, um, without the anchor, uh, it, 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 your life is blown in different directions and your life can drift into the weeds and your life can drift into the deep and your life can be tossed around. But the, the beauty of, 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 of Jesus is that he, he went and he went behind the veil and we have this anchor in heaven and we can have this hope in the confidence that God will fulfill his promises. It's a hope that grounds us. It's a hope that keeps us 
stable during the storm. It's a hope that keeps us grounded during life's trials and tribulations. You know, even when life isn't fair, we can say that we have this hope. When my friends betray me, I can say that I have this hope. When I'm struggling with uncertainty, I have this hope. When my relationship is on the fritz, I have this hope. I don't know if you've ever met someone who's going through extreme trials. And yet they're able to approach it with peace. Because they have this hope. My buddy lost his wife um, last year. And I'm talking to him and he's just, he's encouraging me. And I'm like, how can you be this peaceful? Because he has this hope. been at, at people's deathbed and I've talked with them and they have been at peace. How, 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 how can you? It's because they have this hope. My basement flooded last week. I was freaking out and then I realized I have this hope. I almost got a speeding ticket the other day. I freaked out. And I realized, wait, this stuff is temporary. This stuff is carnal. I have this hope. Let us hold fast the confession. I don't know if I like the word confession. Do you? I mean, maybe you do. Maybe you like it. Do you like the word confession? I don't know. Like sometimes, I I don't know. I read it and then I I thought, you know, maybe I'll read another translation because I don't really like the word confession. Maybe I'll use a different translation because I don't like the word confession. And so I went to the NIV and it says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. Confession and profess. I, I, I actually... Don't know if I like that. I think I dislike that one more, you know, because it's like, eh, okay, you know, you know. And then I thought, I began to think about the first century church, and I was thinking, um, you know, these people were facing a lot of persecution. These people were dying because of their faith. Um, these people um, were in all sorts of uncomfortableness. And um, I thought to myself, you know, these people probably thought because of their persecution, it probably would have been better for them to profess their hope. But let me, let me profess my hope. Let me confess my hope. Let me, let me do it quietly in the confines of my own home. Right? Because I don't want to face any persecution. I don't want to face any hardship. I don't want to face any trials. If the authorities find out that I'm a follower of this Jesus, this troublemaker, yeah. So, you know, I'm going to follow Christ, but I'm going to follow him uh, in the privacy of my own home. I mean, actually, you know what? I, I, I will find a closet in the privacy of my own home, and I will go there, and I will pray silently. Okay? Like, like that, that will be the profession of my hope. That will be the excitement of my hope. But here, 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 here the, 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 the writer is saying, listen, uh, you need to hold fast to the confession. I want you to confess, and I want you to profess your hope. You know, when you're going through some difficulties and when you're going through some trials and you're going through some hardships, a lot of times the enemy wants us to, to bury it down, to hide it, to keep it disclosed, to keep it hidden, hidden under a blanket, to keep it hidden, hidden in the closet. But listen, if, if you're going through difficulties or if you're going through hardships, we need to come together and profess the confession of our hope. You know what I'm talking about this morning? In, in fact, in Scripture it says that if we confess our sins to one another, you'll be healed. The enemy wants to isolate us where God wants us to come together. 
No, let us confess. Let us profess this hope without wavering because God is faithful. God does not want us to be a people that are hiding. He has called us to hold fast the confession and to profess our hope without wavering. And then look at verses 24 and 25. It says, And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting, exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much more as we see the day approaching. Let us, let us, let us. Can you say community? Let us. Community. You know, I, I, I heard that um, our church well, actually started with a, a tent revival over where Home Depot's at. And um, they ended up moving across the street, started over there, they ended up moving across the street. And um, from what I understand, and Don can correct me because Don's been here since the beginning of the church practically. But from what I understand, they moved over here and they started with the basement. They built the basement first. And there was a farmer that had some type of a loss and he had some insurance money. And I don't know if you've heard the story, Don. And um, they needed so much money to, like, start the church. And the insurance money was exactly what they needed to start the church. This was, like, 70, 80 years ago or something like that. And um, so they started with the, the basement. And then they built up behind uh, where the youth room is. That's where the, that's where the church was after that. And then I want to say in the 70s they built out and they built into uh, – they built the sanctuary where we're sitting right now. And so we have actually quite a, a great heritage here at the church, um, kind of a good location. I remember when um, I first got here, it was called Taylor Christian Center. And um, I was trying to figure out why it's called Taylor Christian Center. I asked everyone. No one knew why. And so people, I had someone from, from the streets come in, and they said, you know, oh, we thought this was a mental home. I'm like, oh, yes, we are mental, but no, this is a church. And so they thought this was a mental home. And so uh, it's like, oh, the Taylor Christian Center. And so after I'd been here about, uh, I want to say two years, I was at a funeral. And um, I'm talking to someone that I guess attended our church many years ago. And they said, you know, um, it's called Taylor Christian Center because it's in the center of Taylor. I was like, oh, well, that's interesting. And so um, I want to say a couple years ago, we... To avoid confusion, we actually changed it to Taylor Christian Church so that people know that we're a church and not a mental home. But uh, even though we kind of are, yeah, but um, uh, so we we changed we uh, we did a DBA, we changed the name, and so you think about man, what a what a cool. I don't know if you've ever been through. For those of you who are newer here, I don't know if you've ever been through the full full facility, but it's actually pretty 
pretty cool. We got classrooms downstairs, a bunch of classrooms uh, for the kids. We have uh, Pastor Nate's been doing a great job uh, over in the youth room, that's just right on the other side of this uh, cement wall here. And then um, we're actually renovating up where the nursery used to be to be a youth hangout, which um, we'll hear more about in the coming weeks. And so uh, Pastor Nate's been working diligently on that. And but anyways, you think about our church, and our church actually has a a pretty rich heritage. And you think about the location, the location is pretty great too. They say that 40,000 cars pass our church every single day. And so I think about, man, you know, it seems like the more I'm here, the more I hear about the people and the things that happened here back in the day. And so I think about how exciting it is that we have a, a cool building and such a, such a rich heritage here in the city of Taylor. But, you know, the, the, the more that I think about it, the more I realize that, that the church is Although it's exciting to, to think about the church and the facility and all those sorts of things, um, the church really isn't the land. It's not the parking lot. It's not the fancy classrooms. It's not the, the future nest. I'm sorry, Pastor Nate. It's not, it's not really about the building at all, is it? It's not about our tangible assets, but the, the church is really about the people. 